And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Hi, good morning, it's Keith. Today is Tuesday, September 7th, our first uh, call in September. I want to start out this morning by wishing all who are uh, celebrating uh, the Jewish New Year a Happy New Year. And uh, to begin uh, the post-Labor Day investment uh, world uh, starting today, uh, September, post-Labor Day, is a time uh, that sometimes leads to some stress, uh, sometimes associated with the uh, beginning of a seasonal period where uh, financial markets uh, are more strained in September and uh, October. And we're going to talk about that this morning, talk about what financial markets uh, are geared up for for the remainder of the year, talk about uh, Barron's and uh, their overall view on the market. Also talk about the new SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, um, who has uh, been advocating for individual investors and is known as a progressive in terms of uh, seeking a greater market regulation, a change from uh, some of the policies of the uh, Trump administration. And then we'll talk about a couple of individual stocks and barons. And then when, so to get things started today, I talked about uh, that it is uh, first week of September and what that might mean for uh, markets. And I'm going to start out by saying, uh, I was recently reading an article by uh, Ralph Wakerly, and it was talking about trying to time the markets, even though we're talking about coming into a seasonal period here um, in September, and how market timing destroys wealth. So so-called experts are telling us about the coming uh, Uber bear market or why the bill market will uh, continue or even get better than it's been, even though it's been so great. Um, and uh, there are lots of newsletters and lots of uh, TV shows that you can uh, watch, things you can read that will tell you which way the market's going and what the predictions are looking like. Um, yet, if you do an analysis of uh, how those predictions have fared out, um, when people try to predict the market's direction to time buys and sells, uh, that approach often uh, results in uh, dissatisfaction, frustration, and uh, is uh, possibly, and uh, my opinion, the wrong approach to investing. Data from the last seven bear markets show that a large percentage of losses and gains happen in very short periods of time, requiring timers to have uncanny accuracy and resolve. Investors are better served to ignore market calls and follow the time-tested practice of holding well-diversified portfolios that meet their goals across long market cycles. If you look back at research on market timing, um, you will observe that um, the research indicates that market timers have a very poor uh, history of success. Um, according to research cited in a 2012 Barron's article, 85% of sell or exchange decisions that investors make are wrong. More recently, according to the IFA, which is a research report by Dalbar, said that the typical mutual fund investor earned 5.9% per year in 20 years through 2020. Therefore, your average mutual fund investor has underperformed the S&P 500 um, which has returned 7.343% a year. That's almost 1.5%. Um, it's actually slightly more of underperformance per year over 20 years. A book by Rich Roger Gibson called Asset Allocation says that for market timing to pay, investors must predict the market correctly at least 
80% of the time for bull markets and 50% for bear markets. And if you're not quite as good at predicting bull markets and you can only get bull markets correct 60% of the time, well, then you better be really good at bear markets because you got to get it right 90% of the time. In that book, um, there was a study of 100 pension funds. And what that study found is that pension funds, these are professional investors um, with uh, teams of uh, analysts, and yet, these 100 pension funds, their experience with market timing found that all the funds had engaged in at least some market timing, yet not one of those funds had an improved rate of return. In fact, 89 of the 100 funds lost as a result of market timing, and their average losses were 4.5% a year over a five-year period. Wim Antunes, author of a paper called Market Timing, looked at 6,582 forecasts between 2005 and 2012, and that found that of those 6,582 forecasts, not a single one was able to beat the markets um, after factoring in transaction costs. Part of the reason for this difficulty and this challenge is when you look back at uh, periods of uh, major upswings and major downswings, a large percent of those swings occur in a span of the first 40 days, typically. So the first 40 days of an up market or the first 40 days of a bear market. And in fact, it's front-end loaded. The average bear posted a loss of 8.1% in the first 20 days and 9.6% in the first 30 days. And that is much of the problem with market timing is that a disproportionate percentage of the total gains and losses occur in a very rapid uh, time period making it extremely difficult to pick those inflection points because you have to be able to time the precise moment when things are going to turn. You don't have tea leaves. The direction is not obvious, yet you have to be able to turn on a dime when your conviction is going against the grain. Um, if you've ever cut against the grain, um, even with a scissor, you can see and feel how difficult it is to go against the grain and to do so consistently is uh, is historically and uh, analytically speaking uh, almost uh, impossible. Uh, J.P. Morgan said in their uh, in their asset management guide to retirement um, that buy and hold investors between 2000 and 2020 returned 7.47 percent a year, but investors who missed just the 10 best days during that period earned only 3.35 percent per year. If market timing was the way of life for an investor, they would need to be able to repeatedly buy and hold the correct periods of time and sell and buy at those inflection points. For each cycle, a timer would have to be right twice to reap the rewards. So if you go back over the last 34 years, uh, there were seven major downturns in the market, which means you would have had to been able to correctly time 14 market swings in those 34 years and be able to sit on your hands all of the other times uh, when markets were either going up or down consistently in that time period before a next inflection point was hit. So you as a market timer would need the conviction to make bold moves, sell at tops when the market was giddy, buy at the bottoms under the most stressful conditions, something that uh, the human mind um, psychologically is really not uh, developed to do. Therefore, market timing has uh, has shown, uh, based on statistics, to be an elusive pursuit. While it can be enticing to act on advice from convincing market forecasters, it turns out that it is hazardous to your investment health. Yet many individual investors, hedge funds, pension funds, professional traders um, act on this information. 
Some do have success, and you'll often hear your neighbor or your friend tell you how successful they were getting out at the market right at the right time. Uh, but what you, you'll also discover if you follow them over long periods of time is that this success is often a one-off or a success over a very discreet time period, and it is highly unlikely that those individuals, even if they are professionals, uh, will be able to consistently and profitably uh, get in and out of the markets over long periods of time. So what should investors do? They should set their investment goals, determine an appropriate investment plan and asset allocation, and stick with it for the long term. So with that thought process uh, in effect, um, and as we review financial markets this morning, um, here we are, first day after Labor Day, and uh, we have Americans traveling this weekend at a much greater rate than they did last year. Just to give you some uh, statistics here on the Labor Day travel, perhaps uh, some insights into the psyche of Americans. Uh, millions of Americans have decided to travel over this Labor Day weekend despite outbreaks of COVID-19 nationwide. Airports saw daily passenger counts more than double over the weekend compared to last year, but still lagging behind the pre-pandemic levels from 2019. 2.13 million passengers passed through U.S. airports on Friday, which was more than twice the 968,000 who did so last year. But it was still more, it was still more than 68,000 less than the 2.2 million who traveled, um, in 2019. Um, but you can see that, uh, that we are seeing just a 1% dip, um, in air travel over 2019 pre-pandemic. Um, interestingly, um, what did drop uh, more meaningfully was uh, road travel, um, which uh, statistics indicate um, is down about 10% uh, from last year. Moving on to uh, the news flow this morning, S&P futures are trading uh, slightly above fair value this morning. Uh, just to give you an update here on where we are at this, uh, at this moment now. Um, we are seeing uh, Dow futures up about 12 points, S&P futures up about 2, NASDAQ futures up about 3. So very sleepy start to the holiday shortened week combination of uh, some folks still being on vacation as well as the Jewish New Year, perhaps uh, dampering uh, activity this morning. Um, in macro-related developments, China reported better than expected increases in exports and imports for August. Germany reported a weaker-than-expected economic sentiment index for August, and Goldman Sachs uh, lowered its U.S. GDP outlook for 2021 but raised its 2022 outlook. China's Shanghai Composite was up 1.5%. Germany's DAX down two-tenths of 1%. Um, Europe in general is down about three-tenths of 1% this morning. Um, in some individual stock news, Morgan Stanley downgraded healthcare components uh, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, and Amgen to equal weight from overweight. Um, Match.com um, being added to the S&P 500. It's up about 11%. Also being added is uh, Ceridom HCM, symbol CDAY, and Brown and & Brown, symbol um, BRO, um, all joining the S&P 500 prior to the open on September 20th. Um, other companies in the news, Boeing is down slightly after Ryanair said it's walking away from talks over a potential new order for 737 Maxes in a dispute over pricing. Spotify up about 4% this morning, being upgraded to overweight from sector weight at Key Bank. 
And State Street is up slightly this morning after agreeing to acquire Brown Brothers Harriman's Investor Services business for $3.5 billion in cash. The U.S. Treasury yield curve is steepened amid increased selling on the longer end of the curve. The two-year yield is up one basis point to 21 basis points. The 10-year is up five basis points to 137. Dollar index is up three-tenths of one percent. Crude oil is down 1.1 percent or 75 cents to $68.50 per barrel. BMW said they expect uh, the chip shortage to last for another 12 months. And uh, NVIDIA in the news, uh, Financial Times reporting that uh, they are facing uh, further resistance uh, to their acquisition of ARM holdings uh, in the European Union. What do we have to uh, look forward to this shortened week? Uh, tomorrow we get earnings from uh, Lululemon Athletica. The Federal Reserve tomorrow is reporting its consumer credit for July. And the Beige Book is being released tomorrow on Wednesday. On Thursday, we get the Department of Labor reporting initial jobless claims. Uh, the European Central Bank is announcing its monetary policy decision, widely expected to keep its key interest rate unchanged at minus one-half of 1%. And Moderna is hosting its fifth annual R&D day to discuss vaccines in the company's pipeline. On Friday, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics reports the producer price index for August forecasts uh, expect a six-tenths of one percent rise or one-half of one percent or five-tenths of one percent rise um, when vac factoring out uh, food and energy uh, pricing components. Moving on to uh, financial markets, where we are here as we enter the September-October period, um, Barron's, uh, despite uh, the time of year, um, is remaining, uh, meaning I wouldn't call them positive, but uh, but 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 at least uh, neutral um, on the uh, on the markets to a neutral with a slightly upward bias. A few different stories we'll talk about. Uh, headlines, uh, one of which is uh, strategists say the stock market could struggle this fall. What to buy now? Is the stock market in a bubble? Don't bet on it. And then finally, an article saying nothing can take the stock market off its record run. So. Three different articles in Barron's general thesis here among all three. The common thread is uh, that uh, markets uh, are fairly expensive. Uh, we are coming into uh, a uh, seasonal period of the year where uh, financial markets uh, struggle. Um, nevertheless, uh, the dynamics right now, according to Barron's, uh, while um, we may be approaching uh, a correction, they don't foresee uh, the beginnings of a bear market at this time. Um, positive news about uh, this September is when the market uh, has uh, has been up for the year uh, significantly like it is this year, um, that the markets uh, typically fare well in September, even though September is the one month of the year that the markets historically have a negative return, almost 1%. Um, but that uh, downward bias does not hold when um, coming into uh, September, the markets uh, have... Uh, have been up north of 10% uh, previously um, before hitting September. So if you look at the markets historically, when we uh, have had a strong run coming into September, um, then uh, then in years when that's happened, typically the markets uh, have moved up in September. Um, we'll see if that uh, if that probability uh, holds this year. So taking a look at uh, at where we are this morning. Um, and uh, what went on last week. Um, markets uh, last week, um, relatively flat with uh, an upward bias. Uh, 
to some extent, it depends what index you are looking at. Um, but uh, coming into last week, the S&P was up 21% uh, for the year. Um, few on the street expect that sort of uh, positive movement to uh, continue at that pace. Um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, Barron's saying there's little reason to doubt that stocks could continue marching on uh, despite what happens elsewhere in the world. We saw this last week, uh, proof of that. Um, we had uh, Hurricane Ida uh, devastate uh, the Louisiana and Mississippi uh, coastlines. Um, we saw the storm move up uh, to the East Coast and inflict a lot more damage than was anticipated um, in the uh, tri-state area. Um, lots of damage uh, here in New York. Lots of uh, lots of folks uh, lost power. Uh, yet the markets uh, were able to shrug that off and uh, keep uh, marching on. At the same time, on Friday last week, we had the uh, Labor Department announce that there were 235,000 jobs added in August, which was well below the 750,000 forecast by economists. Um, but the market also able to shrug uh, that data off, uh, perhaps due to previous uh, revisions. Uh, uh, to the upside, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Um, but uh, coming into uh, this week, uh, we had last week where the Dow was off two-tenths of 1%. Dow is at 35,369 entering today. Uh, NASDAQ was up two-tenths of a percent to a record high, 15,363. Um, and the S&P 500 um, holding on at 4535 um, and uh, that level just off record highs. So rather than being spooked last week by the prospects of a slowing economic growth, uh, Wall Street appeared to take the uh, weaker-than-forecast figures uh, on the job market as confirmation of concerns. It had about how the COVID-19 Delta variant would affect economic activity, and with indications that the Delta variant has hit or is at least near peak levels in some parts of the country, uh, the market is willing to look past August jobs figures, especially since it means the Federal Reserve um, perhaps uh, will be uh, less aggressive or perhaps wait a little longer um, in their uh, tapering program. Also, as we look at uh, the financial markets and uh, some factors or, or, or segments of the markets uh, to uh, to look at and what we have going on, um, and there are some uh, Tailwinds in place now, some items to be concerned about, um, and this is uh, fueling uh, some of the uh, speculation um, that we at least uh, could be in for uh, a correction at some point uh, throughout the rest of the year. Um, so what are these tailwinds? Uh, well, perhaps the most obvious is the Federal Reserve and their uh, discussion about tapering, um, but secondarily, and perhaps not getting front uh, front stage attention, but perhaps deserving of it, is uh, is the increasing likelihood that the Biden administration, um, in order to uh, pay for their proposed $3.5 trillion of uh, spending, um, will be hiking corporate and personal tax rates if they can get those, uh, those, uh, those proposals through Congress. And it's looking increasingly more possible um, that we could be looking at a corporate tax rate of 25% versus 21%. And that's something that could significantly uh, affect uh, earnings, which have been growing strongly. Um, obviously, if you're paying out 4% more of your profits uh, to the government, um, that you've got 4% less uh, profits to share with shareholders, and uh, that perhaps uh, not getting uh, the respect it deserves and the pricing it deserves. Um, but as uh, the fall unwinds, and if this, uh, this uh, hike looks more and more likely, uh, perhaps the market will start uh, pricing in um, some of these uh, some of these potential tax hikes. 
Uh, Barron's uh, had a uh, discussion with uh, six uh, market strategists, um, strategists uh, such as Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, RBC, um, and of these six strategists, uh, none expected the S&P 500 to close significantly higher um, than where it is today at about 4535. Uh, the average target among these uh, market strategists is 4585. Um, so very little upside, at least uh, in the minds of these strategists uh, for year end, although they're obviously not looking for a precipitous decline either. Um, and looking forward to 2022, the average expectation is for the markets to rise about 6% uh, to 4,800. So looking for a uh, much more uh, subdued 2022. Moving on to a couple of individual stories in Barron's. Uh, the cover story um, was a discussion about uh, the SEC's uh, new chairman, Gary Gensler, and his big new vision for the stock market and uh, how his vision uh, potentially uh, could impact uh, the structure of financial markets here in the United States. Um, the chairman has uh, expressed the concerns that the market for executing stock trades has become too segmented, uh, too much order flow going into dark pools, um, and that is creating a uh, market that is uh, not as transparent perhaps as he would like. Um, as less and less volume is going to the exchanges. Um, it's not clear um, how much change uh, Chairman Gensler and the SEC can push through, um, but if he can overcome resistance, um, he is uh, very likely an agent of change, and we could see some significant changes in how the plumbing or the infrastructure of U.S. Uh, markets uh, works under this SEC or C chairman. Um, Gary Gensler told uh, Barron's in an interview this past week that we cannot take for granted that the U.S. markets will always be considered the most efficient, most liquid in the world. We have to be realistic that technology changes and we've got to update things. Um, he said that there are too many inherent conflicts of interest that are putting investors at a disadvantage. Among the most prominent of those conflicts are the payments that brokers get from the market makers that process their client trades. Uh, we'll say that uh, here at Herald Lantern, um, we do not receive uh, payment uh, for order flow, which is what this is called. Um, and uh, there are some uh, some who say, including Chairman Gansler, that uh, that uh, banning payment for order flow is a topic uh, of discussion that should be considered. Um, it is uh, notable that in the UK and Canada, uh, payments for order flow are banned. Um, it's an important moment to examine how the market works, how trades are processed, because more people than ever are participating. Since the start of 2020, more than 20 million people have opened brokerage accounts in the, in the United States. That is a record pace. Retail trading now makes up 22% of trading volume, more than double the share of a decade ago. Uh, Robinhood, uh, perhaps the poster child for lots of these new investors, has signed up the largest share of new investors. It doesn't charge commissions or have account size minimums, um, but its business model depends on getting paid on the back end of trades. In fact, Robinhood's payment for order flow payments in general account for about 75 to 80% of their revenue. Um, other discounters like uh, Fidelity um, do not receive payment for order flow. Charles Schwab receives payment for order flow, but it only accounted in 2020 for about 5% of its revenue. Uh, Chairman Gensler um, when he talks about payment for order flows, um, is hyper-focused on something called price improvement. 
Uh, folks over at Robinhood insist that uh, their clients are seeing price improvement and that perhaps some of the uh, argument uh, against payment for order flow is misguided. Uh, but uh, Gary Gensler has said that he doesn't think that uh, taking a look at uh, price improvement versus exchanges is a reasonable comparison when viewing whether or not payments uh, for wh- whether or not uh, retail investors are getting best execution. Um, because as we mentioned at the beginning of this article, so much institutional business is also being done off exchange in dark pools. Therefore, when you're taking a look at your measuring stick being um, the pricing on exchanges, um, he feels that that's not a fair uh, area to uh, to use as your measuring stick since so much business is being done off exchange that the exchanges really aren't the best place uh, to look for what's the best price uh, for a stock. And he is looking uh, at, uh, at at both the institutional and the retail components and the structure of payment for order flow um, as he goes about considering how to overhaul uh, financial markets uh, here in the United States. A couple of other stories in Barron's. Um, Barron's talked about uh, the biotech uh, sector of the uh, of the equity market, saying that uh, perhaps biotech is due for a comeback. Um, market is littered with biotech stocks that have fallen by more than half since the start of the year, um, and they focus uh, on a handful um, and uh, suggest that uh, these five biotech stocks, these uh, biotech stocks, uh, could um, be ripe for a turnaround. Although they certainly each contain their own unique risks. Um, give you a sampling of some of the names in this article: Compass Pathways, symbol CMPS which is a U.K.-based biotech company testing uh, the chemical that is in uh, psychedelic mushrooms as a depression treatment. Um, also mentioned in this article is Invite, symbol N-V-T-A, company doing um, lots, of, uh, lots of genetic uh, testing, an area that uh, is uh, seeing lots of uh, interest and, uh, and growth. Um, and finally, I'll mention uh, Alovir, uh, symbol ALVR down about 48% uh, year to date. Um, and uh, Barron saying this company is developing what's called a multivirus specific T cell therapy invent- intended to treat or prevent viral infections in people who have received stem cell implants. Um, the company has proof of concept data showing that the therapy um, does, uh, does, uh, does work. Um, obviously, uh, lots of data and lots of uh, testing still needed, um, but uh, Raymond James uh, in this article out uh, saying that uh, they think the risk-reward is attractive and they have a $55 price target on the stock, which is significantly higher than the closing price on Friday of $19.89 per share. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.